All right, good morning. Good to see you here today. Thanks for joining us to worship. Thanks to all of you that are online. Really grateful that you've connected with us in that way. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 today, verse 9. We're going to read one verse, which everybody loves, one verse. Uh, but it's, again, a difficult one to, uh, to, to, to deal with. So a couple things while you're getting situated there. And if you need a Bible, there should be a ch- one in the chair in front of you. Uh, but a couple things. So we have a team, a small group leaving for Lebanon today. We have not been back to Lebanon since uh, the pandemic began. And so that team is going to re-engage our local partners there to assess uh, the current situation and to plan for the future. There are three of them going. Uh, and I just, uh, one of them is the closest human in the universe to me, my wife. And so I uh, cover your prayers for them as they go. Um, and then secondly, we have uh, our youngest adults uh, are on a Labor Day retreat this weekend with uh, Joel Trevino. They're in East Texas. And so they'll be coming back this afternoon, but just be praying, uh, praying that their retreat continues to go well. They're, they're, uh, they're, he's texted me this morning and said they're going to pop into uh, First Baptist Church Newton this morning. Anybody know First Baptist Newton? Come on, really? Who? Your dear lease. <laughs> Did you go to church while you were hunting at first? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> you set yourself up, man. All right. Well, that's good. So they'll probably like invade that church this morning so it'll be good all right let's uh work in a series called blessed and we're talking a lot about the differences between uh what the world deems as blessed and what the scripture says is blessed so if i go with the world like baylor won yesterday hashtag blessed come on man i'm gonna give the aggies some juice but come on with the the, the Baylor thing. I mean, come on. Okay, and the Aggies beat Sam Houston yesterday. I mean, you should have, right? And then uh, Sam Houston lost yesterday. You're not blessed. The Lord does not love you, according to the, uh, according to the world. If the world works like that, right? right? The world just thinks if we're winning in any particular category, we're blessed. But the Bible just speaks a little bit differently about what it means to be blessed. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. We've actually been going through uh, different passages of scripture. We started in Psalm and we talked about blessed are the people who delight in the law of the Lord, that they hear it and they obey it. We, we spent another week in Psalms and we said, blessed are those who consider the poor. And we talked about what that means as, as people of Jesus. Last week we talked about blessed are the meek, we talked about that, that meekness isn't weakness, it's different, and, and work through that. And today we're going to talk about peacemakers. So if you would, stand with me, and we will read Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. If you're our guest, after the main text reading, we just uh, say this phrase, the very words to distinguish God's word from my own. It's going to be long, ready? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Can be seated. Now, this uh, I, always, I always think about. This sermon is impactful to me, and I think it's impactful to, to everyone who who reads it. This is the Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus Himself 
uh, with a gathering of lots of different people around him. We get that his disciples are listening, but there's a crowd there. And that is right, that is right just up the hill from a place called Capernaum. It's a major trade route that goes through right there. And so there are a lot of people that are, that are hearing this. And some of these things are, have to be provocative and profound when they begin to to listen to what he has to say in the Sermon on the Mount. But we get this phrase, this one verse, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I think if you were Jewish and you were sitting there that particular day on that hill and you heard, blessed are the peacemakers, because they shall be called sons of God, you might have been a little bit frustrated with that. It might have even been politically frustrating because Rome was in charge. Rome was in power, and everybody in that day and that time is looking for these prophecies to be fulfilled in a way that would bring shalom with no Rome, right? Get Rome out of here. We don't want them here. Whatever you have to do, strike them with lightning, destroy them all. We don't care. We just want our place back, right? We want to be in charge. And so, They hear stuff like this, and it's got to be a little bit frustrating, a little bit confusing. I think it's also a little bit frustrating and confusing in our current context. And I know this because I'll throw this out there uh, from time to time. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And people always come at this verse with political things. Like... It doesn't matter what side of the aisle that you're on, you see it in a, in a weird sort of way. Like some people are like, well, when is it time to fight? Okay, that's not what I was talking about. But, but what Jesus said is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And we have to take a look at that because it, it, while it impacts politically, I think our posture and tenor, it's not, a pol- it's not a political thing. It's a kingdom thing. And there's a difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker, right? A peacekeeper is more like somebody who is just trying to, to help everyone get along to go along. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about forging peace, in a place where there's chaos, among a people where there is chaos. He's talking about making peace, and that is a lot more difficult than just keeping peace. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, peacemakers. Now, he clearly says peacemakers are blessed people. People who bring peace to hostility or chaos are blessed, according to Jesus. People who bring peace to hostility or chaos are blessed, according to Jesus. Someone who forges reconciliation and restoration when there is only angst, anger, and hostility and chaos, that kind of person is blessed, according to uh, Jesus. Peacemakers are blessed people. Now, it's interesting, I think, that he instantly says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You don't have in the New Testament lots of times where Jesus is pointing out a person like that is a son of God. 
someone with that characteristic. And the question is, why is someone who is a peacemaker considered a son of God? Well, there are two clear reasons, and I'd like to go through those with you now. The first is that when we are peacemakers, we are like Jesus. When we are peacemakers, we are like Jesus. Let's think about this for just a moment. The son of God, Jesus himself, is called the prince of peace. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. This is the Christmas card verse that everybody knows. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then Prince of Peace. So he is the ultimate holder of shalom. He's the ultimate peacemaker. He's the one that brings shalom to chaos. He is the prince of peacemaking. So when we are peacemakers, we are like the son of God. Also, we see that Jesus is our peace and he's the ultimate peacemaker. Listen to these two sections of scripture, one out of Ephesians, the other out of Colossians. Ephesians chapter two, verse 14 to 17 says, for he himself, meaning Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he may create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to you who were near, the Jews. So what Paul is saying to the, to the church of Ephesus is like, look at Jesus for just a minute. His very act of crucifixion and resurrection, his life, the gospel message, all of it, takes what was hostility, a dividing wall of hostility, and breaks it down and brings peace between God and humans. Right? He is the ultimate peacemaker. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 to 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So when Jesus goes to the cross, he's nailed to a cross. He is the ultimate peacemaker in that moment. Now, what is he doing? I mean, you know, you, you learn somewhere along the way, Jesus died on a cross to save me from my sins. Thank the Lord that that is true. But think about it for, for just a moment. I mean, the scripture says of, of all of us, doesn't matter your background, situation, circumstance, the scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means we have no right to enter his presence. And the reason we have no right to enter his presence is because we are perfectly sinful and he is perfectly holy and sin and holiness do not mix. Holiness will refine sin with the fire every time. The scripture says that we were hostile to God, that we were children of wrath, that we were enemies of God. 
Why? Because of our sin. This is why I think it's important to sit and think about this for just a moment because a lot of times we just stop at Jesus died on a cross to save us from our sin, but we don't think about the impact, the ramification of that. Our sin, our choice of sin was not only destructive to our life, but it made us at war with God. You were at war with God. I was at war with God. And what Jesus did on the cross is the ultimate, he made the ultimate peace treaty. He paid the price for my sin, for your sin, so that we would no longer be at war with God because that's a war we lose. But instead, we would be made right before God. Jesus put his holiness on us And the scripture says he transformed us from being children of wrath to being sons and daughters of God. He made peace between God and everyone who would ever believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He made peace with the Father. And see, this may be the greatest gift that you have as a follower of Jesus. And maybe you don't connect with it every day. Maybe you don't think about it every day. But the reality is, We have shalom with God. We have peace with God. I I don't go to bed at night wondering if God is going to smite me because of Jesus, because of his grace, because of his mercy, not because of my behavior, not because of my thoughts, but because of my faith in Christ. He, he paid the ultimate price. He became the ultimate peacemaker. He, and he is our peace, the scripture says. But also, he reconciled to himself all things by the blood of his cross. So Jesus is our peace and the ultimate peacemaker. We also, when we are peacemakers ourselves, so we said we're, we're We're Christ-like when we are peacemakers because Jesus is the prince of peace and Jesus is our peace and the ultimate peacemaker. But but secondly, not only are we Christ-like when we are peacemakers, but secondly, when we are promoting and pursuing the purposes of God as peacemakers, we are like his kids. We are his sons and his daughters. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 to 20. It starts in the middle of a thought. It says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore on your behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When we promote peace in the world, We are furthering the purposes of God. When we make peace and forge shalom in the world, we are furthering the purposes of God. And that makes us obviously sons and daughters because why would we do that other than our father is a great peacemaker and as his kids, we live this out. This is why it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now, how many of you know sometimes God's people lose sight of the things that make for peace? I mean, we can see that in history. 
Sometimes God's people lose sight of the things that make for peace. In Luke chapter 19, verse 42, Jesus was coming into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, We'll call it around the time of Palm Sunday. This is what we celebrate when we celebrate Jesus coming in on an unridden colt, all the palms. He's going into the city. And he has this interesting reaction. The scripture says that he weeps over the city. And in Luke 19, chapter 42, he says to the religious leaders and to to some of the people, would that you, even you, had known on this day things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So he entered into the temple complex. You have Sadducees there selling Uh, taking advantages of people. You have people who want a militaristic messianic overthrow, a political messianic overthrow. And what Jesus does is weep over it and teach his people, God's people, like you have all the Torah, all the law. You don't even know the things that make for peace. If you knew them, if you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Sometimes God's people lose sight of what makes for peace. Sometimes we forget, primarily at its core. Do you know what will bring shalom in the world? At the, at the primary level. The way to bring peace to the world, the, the way shalom comes to the world, peace, true peace, it comes from people yielding to the lordship of Christ. Primarily, people yielding to the lordship of Christ. And this is how shalom will come. It, it's how it comes to us as individuals. When we're at war with God, we make peace with him through Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We receive mercy and grace. We have shalom, peace. It's how the world, it's how nations, it ha- it's how people groups actually uh, find peace is through Jesus. There's no peace in this broken, sinful world without Jesus. And so a lot of times we lose sight of that. We begin to think of all the different ways that would make for peace and we posture for those things or we are zealous for those things, but primarily peace, true peace, comes from Christ. So the question is, how can we be peacemakers then? Like, what is my role here? How am I supposed to live life as a peacemaker, if it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I'll give you a, a couple, three different ways that I think we should lead and love and live as peacemakers. Here's the first one. Promote peace on purpose with intentionality. Promote peace on purpose with intentionality. So just think about your life for just a minute. Think about the conversations of the last couple of weeks. Think about, are you a promoter of God's peace? A shalom maker, somebody who forges peace in the lives of others. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20, it says, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. So we pray for peace peace and we plan for peace intentionally that we might see uh, relationships restored and people restored to God and groups of people restored. We promote 
peace on purpose. I don't know if you think about yourself every day as a follower of Jesus walking around as, hey, I have the answer to bring peace to every situation where there is chaos. Have you ever thought about that? At the bottom line, it might cost you. You might lean in, it might cost you, but at the, at the primary level, you have the answer for peace in chaos. I mean, just do a quick assessment of, of our world. Do we have a lot of chaos, a lot of hostility, a lot of division and divisiveness? How can we be peacemakers? One, promote peace, the peace of God on purpose. Second, work for gospel restoration in our domains. Now, what does that even mean? Do you know that you have a domain every day that, that you're, you're a part of, that you, you, you roll in? Some of, you, uh, some of you go and do jobs, different kinds of jobs, education jobs, engineering jobs, law enforcement jobs, all, all those kinds of things. You're in that domain every day. Some of you uh, are, uh, have families, and you are in that domain. You live in a neighborhood or some kind of uh, apartment complex. You, you, you're in that domain. That is your domain, where you work, where you live, where you rest, where you play. That's your domain. That's not my domain. That's your domain. And so uh, the reality is that we have to work for gospel restoration in those domains. Gospel restoration is this. like There's somebody in my domain that has no peace with God and therefore has no peace with the people around him or her. And so I need to be a peacemaker here in my domain, which actually would mean loving someone intentionally, loving your neighbor as yourself, right? It's nothing new. Loving someone intentionally and actually sharing the gospel, that good news of restoration that Jesus can take broken things and heal them, that Jesus can take dead things and make them alive again, that Jesus, you might think your, your relationship with your husband or wife is so far gone and, and Jesus can take that and restore it. You might think you'll never get along with the people who live next door and Jesus can take that and restore it. You may think I'll never make it with these kinds of people over here and Jesus can take that and he can make peace and he can restore it. So we need to be peacemakers, forging peace through gospel restoration. Restoration that comes from the gospel is the, is the right kind of restoration. It's the kind that begins with the understanding that I'm just a broken sinner. I'm a mess. I need Jesus. I need his mercy and his grace. And somebody, we, we make this assumption that everybody kind of knows that. People don't. People have all kinds of assumptions about God, about Jesus, about the church. But people, don't ha- people don't understand the gospel. And if you can do two things, if you can articulate the gospel, what it is, the good news that Jesus loved us, he gave himself to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to give us peace with God so we'd no longer be at war with God and to change us and give us a future. If you can articulate the gospel and if you can tell your story, you know what, your story is gonna be profound, but be honest about it. Don't clean it up, don't you know, shine it up because you're a Christian now. Tell the story. 
If you can tell your story and you can articulate the gospel, there is power in that. The Holy Spirit will do things with that and you will be caught up in this movement of forging peace in your domain. And that's what we need to work for, gospel restoration in our domains. We have to see ourselves as peacemakers and ambassadors. I mean, this is what Paul says that we are, ambassadors for Christ. You ever met an ambassador from some other country? What are they doing? They're representing the purposes and programs in some case of the ruling authority from whatever country they come from. They're bringing a message from the president, the king, the prime minister, the whoever. What are we doing as ambassadors in our domains? We're representing the purposes of the king and we're bringing a message to the people from the sovereign king of the universe. Not the, not the, the prime minister of England. You see what you hold in your hands. You can be a peacemaker. So we promote peace on purpose. Two, we work for gospel restoration in our domains. This is the peace people need is this gospel restoration and you are the ambassador in that place. And then the third thing is that uh, I think we need to embrace the idea of being a peacemaker in the public square. Peacemaker in the public square. Now, this is where everybody gets all... Because what happens in the public square is political. Right? Am I right? Come on. Please tell me. I'm just not missing the mark. What happens in the public square is political. Everything is political in the public square. Not everybody has the same beliefs, ideologies, foundation. Not everybody worships Jesus. Not the same religions. They have all kinds of different experiences, backgrounds, circumstances, situations. We come with an ideology. They come with an ideology. And so how do we do that? And if you're at least as old as I am, you know that the public square has changed through the years it, it, it used to have more of a common idea of what is right and what is wrong now it is more fragmented and how do you navigate that what do you do well there's two things that the scripture speaks to that I think we need to make uh, practice of as we're peacemakers in the public square um, Zechariah chapter 8 verse 16 He says, these are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates the things, judgments that are true and make for peace. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates the judgments that are true and make for peace. Did you know that as peacemakers, it requires us to speak truth and apply it? As peacemakers... If, if we are going to see shalom forged, we will have to speak the truth. Maybe a peacekeeper wouldn't. Maybe a peacekeeper wouldn't say anything, but a peacemaker has to speak the truth and has to apply it. Did you know that even when people groups embrace the truth and adhere to it, it makes for peace? When people groups... Hear me again. When people groups embrace the truth and adhere to it, it makes for peace. So we as followers of Jesus, we have 
in our hands the ultimate source of truth. And we have to speak the truth and apply it in the public square. I have to. You have to. You have intersects in the public square. Some of you have influence, magnificent influence in the public square. We have to speak the truth and apply it. When Zachariah says this, that, that we should render in our, in our gates judgments that are true and make for peace, that's, that's political. You know what happens in the gates in Zachariah's time? Lawmaking, uh, all the hardcore discussions about politics, uh, judgments are issued there in the gates. People are kicked outside the gates. When children obey their parents, they're stoned. Disobey their parents, they're stoned outside the gates. Did you know that, kids? Anybody's parent ever read that verse to them? Thank you. You better be thankful for Jesus. It's a joke. It's a joke. The judgment, judgment happens there based on legality, based on law, based on the interpretation of the law, all those kinds of things. And so we have to be people, if we're peacemakers, we have to be people who speak the truth to one another and have the courage to speak the truth to one another even when somebody else believes something different. Truth and adherence to it makes for peace. But how we speak the truth matters. How we speak the truth matters. So 1 Peter chapter 3, 13 to 16, fast forwarding from Zechariah's time into Peter's time as he talks to, to a people about living in the midst of a, a culture that might be uh, persecuting them. It says in 1 Peter 3, 13 to 16, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Step number one, in your heart, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Two, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I'm going to tell you a secret that's no longer going to be a secret anymore. I was in a group of pastors that at the beginning of the Biden administration was invited to sit on a Zoom call with their faith-based leader at the time. And we were given, there's about 15 of us, and we were given questions, or given the opportunity to ask questions. That's a big public square moment. For me, I, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to listen and I'm going to ask questions. So you can imagine these pastors all over the United States. I, I get chosen first to ask the first question. <laughs> I was sick. The pastor from Texas. So <clears throat> my question was, we submitted these questions ahead of time. My question was, how should I explain to my constituents, the people that worship in my congregation and believe the Bible is the source of truth, your policy on abortion. I 
haven't been invited back to any meetings. <laughs> but that was my question. But I didn't just like throw a zinger. The, the person that was running the meeting, I, I thanked them for their service. I said I would be praying for them. And I have been. And I said, if you ever need anything, please reach out to me. I will help you if it's in my power and it's biblical. Here's my question. You see, there's a difference. You have to adhere to the truth. There's a difference between adhering to the truth, speaking the truth, and speaking the truth with gentleness and respect. Truth is truth, no matter how how I say it, but I can be heard one way and not heard another way. Blessed are the peacemakers. Another thing that's not so uh, secret. After the George Floyd um, incident, I sat on a panel because I was keenly interested, for our city in particular, keenly interested in helping bring people together and, and get to the truth and take steps forward together. And I sat on a panel, the panel was called, What White People Need to Know. People were mad at me for sitting on the panel. I'm white, I wanna know what I need to know. And so I sat and I listened And I also got to ask some questions. And I didn't agree with everything that was said. But I didn't throw rocks at everybody. I listened. I asked my questions. And I got invited to another meeting and another meeting and another meeting and another meeting. And behind the scenes, I got to, in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Christ, as a white dude, forge some peace. I'm grateful. It cost me. But you know what I was holding on to? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. So the good news is for me, like I don't have to run for office. Everybody cannot like me, and that's okay. Politically, what I have to do is I have to adhere to the truth of Scripture and walk it out. And here's what I'm saying to you. That's not just for pastors. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. You have to make, forge, not keep, forge peace in your domain and the public square. That's why we're here. We're ambassadors for Christ. Why would an ambassador for Christ not show up at those meetings, right? We're ambassadors for Christ. And that's what we're here to do. Blessed are the peacemakers. So I know that you've gone from like, okay, this is crazy sermon. How, do I, how, how in the world do I make a difference? Do I forge peace in a world that is so crazy? Answer this question. Number one, are you at peace with God? Have you made peace with God through his son, Jesus, by placing your faith in him? Because you can't be a peacemaker without having peace with God. 
that comes through Jesus. And then the second thing is, are you willing to do these two things? Because this is primary for what it means to be a peacemaker. Are you willing to do these two things? Ready? Are you willing to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are you willing to love your neighbor as yourself? I'm not saying condone evil. I'm saying speak the truth in love. That's what we need to be, church. And as we move forward into these days ahead, these days behind us, these, these last three years have been difficult. The days ahead are gonna be more difficult in our domains in the, in, the, in the public square. The reality is that we have to speak the truth in love and forge peace. We are peacemakers, ambassadors for Christ. Right? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Just ask the Lord to speak to you about all of this. Father in heaven, we come to you as a people and we initially come to you knowing that Jesus has made peace for us with you and we're so grateful. We thank you that your word says that we can come right into your presence because of Jesus and that you hear our prayers. And Lord, as we live in this world that is uh, more and more volatile in ways, more and more chaotic in ways. Father, would you use the church of Jesus Christ, this body of Christ, and all the other ones here in our region and around the world, would you use us to be the kind of peacemakers, the people who forge shalom in the world? Would you use us that way? Would you give us the courage for it and the compassion for it? Would you help us articulate the gospel and tell our story at every table we get the opportunity, with every person we get the opportunity with? And would we see a revival come to our region and to the world globally because the church decides? It's true what you said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Help us to walk in your peace and to, to lead other people to it. Thank you for the blessing of that opportunity. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.